In the beginning, God created. Every single thing in the universe was created by him. And without him, not one thing exists. He started by painting the outer reaches of our cosmos down to every minute detail of the earth we now live in. It all began with God, but the earth at that point didn't exist as we see it today. The elements were all there, but it wasn't complete. It lacked form. As a matter of fact, it was completely dark and empty of beauty. Then God stood back, stared at his new creation and said, it needs light. So he added light to his developing masterpiece and then he divided the light and the dark into day and night. And then he let the paint dry overnight. The next morning he continued his artwork. He separated the water on the earth from the water in the sky by masterfully creating space between them and adding magnificent shades of cerulean blue and periwinkle. In other places, he smattered puce or vermilion to show an angry sky. And in yet others, he blended purple and orange explosions, brush stroke by brush stroke. Depending where you look, the picture was vividly different, but always breathtaking, and he called this space the sky. Once again, he let the paint dry for the evening. He came back to his work again the next morning and he began creating landscapes, or land as he would decide to call it. The water on the earth was painted into its own contained spaces and this would be called the seas and it would leave room for the dry land. He stepped back and admired the piece by saying, wow, that's good. But he wasn't done for the day yet. He wanted the, the dry land to spring to life. So he continued painting into the picture over 23,000 different types of trees and over 400,000 different types of plants and flowers like the plumeria or the gazania. And this vegetation would be able to sustain its life by the water and the light that he had created. And they would reproduce themselves through the seeds that they would yield. Some would eventually provide essential food for man and animals, still not painted into this picture. Some of it was just excessive beauty, like the beautiful botanical gardens or the rainforests. God again admired the day's work and said, that's good. And he again let the paint dry overnight. God returned to his work on the sky the following morning and painted focused sources of light like our sun to guide our days and provide necessary heat for survival and the moon to reflect the light of the sun by night. Then, as if with a pin, he poked extravagant patterns of holes in the Oxford blue backdrop of night and brilliantly displayed light clusters such as Cassiopeia, Scorpius, Andromeda, and of course, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, which we more commonly refer to as the Big and Little Dipper. He then called it a day, and four days into the masterpiece, it was indeed becoming just that. Day five was about making the water and earth ever more alive. Here he designed mosaic schools of fish dressed as clowns, 
tiny horses that swam because they had tails but no legs, globs of brightly covered jelly that parachuted their way through the waters while dolphins played and whales surfaced to clear their blowholes, and blood-red lobsters scuttled along the ocean floor. Then he made the painting begin to sing with the sounds of birds warbling right off the canvas. Exotic birds wearing neon colors, pecking holes in trees, and soaring down from 15,000 feet at speeds of 242 miles an hour, just because. Both creatures of the sky and of the sea were commanded to reproduce themselves, and he decided that was enough for one day. Day six began right where day five had left off. This day was about the animals of the dry land. With meticulous detail, God tinted and highlighted every stripe, spot, patch, wrinkle, and hair of all 8.7 million animal species. From the albino tiger to the black-eyed panda, the towering giraffe, and to man's best friend, and yes, even cats. He again saw how good this was, but the crowning jewel of his masterpiece was yet to come. You. That's right, he saved the very best for last. He painstakingly painted humanity into this scene, individually, one by one, stroke by stroke, each one completely unique from every other one down to the very fingerprints of all. Male, female, Flowing locks, dreadlocks, tall, short, no two alike but for one thing. He created man in his own image. Yes, the very image of the ultimate creative being was the design plan for humans. And with that, the masterpiece was complete. He stepped back from the canvas and admired his work and said, this isn't good. This is very good. What I just read to you is the Mike Rutt in interpretation or version of the Genesis 1 creation account. In this room, I'd be very surprised if anyone had not heard that account before or even read it for themselves. But what I wanted to do is be able to take a look at it from a different angle. So I retold it using different colors, words, and images, and even actions to help us see it from a different angle point of view. And as I was writing this and reading this and studying this, a few things became super, super clear, more clear than ever for me, and I want to share those with you really quickly. I want you to understand something very profound about the creator of the universe, and that is this. God and his nature are creative. And I don't mean just creative. See, in the very first chapter, the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, God begins to reveal his nature to us, and he says, in the beginning, God created. The very first thing he reveals to us about himself is that he is a creative being. And again, not just creative, but actually, in many ways, excessively creative, extravagantly creative, and in many times, needlessly creative. Oftentimes, he created beauty for beauty's sake. 
Sometimes he created things that weren't so beautiful, but they were created very functionally. And many times he created something that was both beautiful and functional, like a chameleon who finds its protection in fitting in with its surroundings. 23,000 different types of trees. We don't need that many. 400,000 different types of plants and flowers. Really? And millions upon millions of species of animals. You see, God isn't just concerned with the form and function of his creation. He was concerned with the aesthetics. The creation or a piece of art reflects a bit of the creator or the artist. Art is an expression of the artist. Here's what's interesting about current artists. We're bound by rules that we can choose to follow or break. When God created, he didn't even have rules. He actually created the rules and then chose to break them or make them himself. himself. As a writer, I can write a song in the key of C and choose to put an F sharp in, which means I'm going out of key. God was bound by none of those rules in his initial creation. God and his nature are creative. But here's something else that's really cool. We are created in his image and likeness. Genesis 1:27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Which means if God is creative in nature and we're created in his image, we are creative beings. Now, I know I've had this conversation. Some of you are sitting there and saying, you don't know me. I don't have a creative bone in my body. There's nothing creative about me. And I will respectfully tell you from a deep theological conviction, you are absolutely wrong. Every single human being is a creative being because you're created in the image of a creative being. So, okay, maybe what you're actually saying is, well, I don't like to paint. Well, neither do I, actually. I'm not good at it. That's different than saying you're not a creative being. And every single person has specific creative bents in their life or abilities or where you're in your sweet spot. It could be, if you don't believe me, why do you care what color your car is? You take time weeding your garden. I bet you labored over those paint swatches before you painted the inside of your house, didn't you? Or even think about this, a computer programmer who's writing code could write that same code a thousand different ways. But the way that person decides is the way that their brain creatively tells them is the best. Or think about the time the culinary artist labors in the kitchen with exactly the right amount of spices and garnishes to make it look beautiful. See, you may be boring out an engine to make your car faster or whatever, but every single one of us is creative because we are created in his image. And the beauty is expressed through the work of the individual. Here's the third thing I want you to understand that's really important and really profound is that creatively ultimately points back to the creator. 
Look at this verse with me if you would. Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. What does that say? That when God created the world, he made himself obvious to us because we can see his divine nature and his invisible qualities through the creation, himself, the creation itself. And our creativity, since we are created beings in the image of a creator, and we're creative beings, our creativity in the correct context should point us back to the creator. And, and, and the rub is this, that too often we end up worshiping the creation over the creator. And I want to tell you something. This is the very reason that K2 embraces the value of art in our Sunday experience. Because when you can take a piece of something that's created by man and help everyone understand its intention is to point you back to God, not to the piece itself or even the person that created it because that's a created being as well, but point to the ultimate creator. We love that. And art is, has the ability to speak a language that seems to have additional consonants and additional vowels, additional words and emotions that are universally understood regardless of the language you speak. But we have to be careful not to let ourselves worship the creation. Look at Romans 1.25. Just a couple verses after we just read, it says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And so our constant tension is to create beauty with the sole expression of pointing people back to God. If we're not careful, what happens is we lust after what we do not have and we selfishly hoard and boast in the things that we do have. We gluttonously devour anything we can get our hands on rather than stewarding what's been given to us and admiring the one who created it and intentionally pointing the eyes of others back to him which leads us to today. What we did is we commissioned our arts, artists and our artisans and our musicians and our poets and our dancers, and we said, we would like you to create something that talks about exactly that, art in the correct context, pointing back to God, the ultimate artist. We asked them to use a passage that we find in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 as the inspiration for that work. And so today, we decided instead of having a three-point alliterated message talking about art, we wanted to look at it through the lens of art and experientially allow our artists to share their take on this passage. So glad you're here with us today.